scripture reading is from a few portions of God's Word, mainly Matthew and also Hebrews, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, just a couple verses, Matthew 6, verse 5 and 6, and then we'll go to chapter 14 also for just a couple verses to hear what Jesus says regarding prayer and then how much he and himself yearned to pray. And then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 5, the Lord Jesus begins to speak a prayer. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing, in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And now we go to chapter 14 of Matthew. Matthew 14, and I'll just read verses 22 through 23. This is before the miracle where the Lord Jesus walked on water. And in verse 22 we read, And straightway Jesus <clears throat> constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. He was alone in prayer. And now we go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and we'll read verses 12 through 16. Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 12. For the word of the Lord is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Dear congregation, 
we, we have before us one more message in which we hope to consider the theme of, of communion with God. And we, we considered a couple Sundays ago Psalm 46 and saw that the presence of God was the secret of the psalmist is what gave him stability, what made him see God as that fortress and ever-present help in trouble. See, an ever-present help in trouble. And that, that led us last Lord's Day to, to consider then how important it is to, to be near to God. And we considered the sad reality of being possibly being far from the Lord. We saw the things that are connected with nearness to God. The law of God, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Faith, faith is what we could clearly say is what begins the closeness to God because it is how salvation begins and you'll never be close to God without salvation and you'll never be saved without faith. We saw that calling upon Him is related to God's nearness because if you call, He will come nigh to you. The fear of God, the love of God, and, and we reflected upon the many commandments regarding nearness, that there, there is clearly this indication that if you draw near to the Lord, He will draw near to you. But this, this made me want to study deeper just the very the very reality of, of what all this means, the, the word that I believe we use in our vocabulary when we want to draw closer to the Lord, we speak in terms of well, improving upon our quiet time. We, we call that a time of devotions. It's traditionally been called in, in Christian vocabulary that, that we have a devotional time with the Lord, a time of devotions. When, when we study the Puritans and we start reading what they have to say about this area of Christian discipline, we could say the phrase that they use is communion with God. And the beauty about that phrase is that it applies, of course, not just in your private time with the Lord, but your whole public life with the Lord, so that every moment of the day you are in communion with the Lord. And, of course, there is a specific way of speaking of that communion that would be like our way of thinking of a quiet time and a time of prayer, a time of devotions. But then also regarding worship or even in your family worship, that when we're doing what we're doing, we're not just going through the motions, but we're really worshiping the Lord with a heart of communion, that we're not just here for the form and the formality, but we're here because of the presence and the person, even Christ Himself, that we want to be near to Him and not distant from Him. And, and so it really made me think of the need for at least two more sermons, this one today and another one. And what we're hoping to do is follow pretty much four points. Today we're going to look at the importance of communion with God and secondly, we'll look at the delight of communion with God. Now, I, I understand that even as we look at the delight, we, it, will, it will help us understand the importance. It'll just have a little different, of, different dimension, not just showing so much the need and so much the absolute reality of, of 
the need for a time of communion with the Lord or a life of communion, but also the pleasures that are derived from it. And, and this is the precious thing about studying from the Puritans. They're the ones who bring to us and remind us that this, this is all in Scripture. When you really look at Scripture in a more full way, it brings this reality that communion with the Lord is, is not to be seen as, oh, this is my time of devotions and I, I just have to do it. That is not communion with the Lord. That, that's just one more formality in your life. Communion with the Lord will bring forth delight. And as I, as I studied this and even considered, and I know in my mind I'm thinking, well, where's the practical part? Like, how do you do communion? How do you maintain communion? And that is where the Puritans, looking through many of them, it's interesting, certain things you study from the Puritans and one or another touch on a certain thing. When the doctrines are very important, it's almost all of them have chapters and chapters and sermons and sermons on a certain theme. And this is what I found with communion with God. So, so in many ways, this Lord's Day and Lord willing, next Lord's Day, as we look at communion with God, you will see that I will bring many quotes of the Puritans. I'm, I'm unapologetically wanting you to see something of a heart from a bygone era and how they literally saw communion with God as life. Some of them said it. It is the life of life, communion with God. And as you read through that, it, it fills your heart, and I can bring some of my own words explaining some of the texts, but I just feel like we need some of these witnesses, as it were, to, to show to you how important this is. And next Lord's Day, we will deal with, with the obtaining of this communion and the maintaining. And yes, in many ways, that would be the practical part. But I want you to understand that in, in, a, in a foundational way, what we see today is actually more practical still. And this is what I mean. The whole reality of communion with God is not a matter of checking the box and making sure you do it. See, if that's how you approach it, it isn't communion with God. It is just one more task done like any other human in this world who could be as far as ever from God can actually do. See, Anyone who, who is living any kind of life can walk through doors and sit and go through an hour and a half of worship. And anyone can go home and read the Bible, five verses, and then maybe recite a prayer or two. But if that is done just as a checking of the box, it is not what the Bible means about communion. And for you and I to understand what the Bible means, we need this sermon today, which, which is dealing with the importance of it and then the delight in it. Because then if we have this heart and we approach a, a moment of communion with the Lord so that our whole life has this, this, this atmosphere of communion with the Lord, every time you read the Bible, that will be the practical thing. Well, that will be communion with the Lord. So I want you to understand that as we go through these, that this is really what will bring the practical element because or else it's just going to be a, 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 a checking the boxes. And so 
let's begin by looking at the importance of communion with God. And, and as we have this before us, the importance of communion with God, the first thing I want you to understand is that the most righteous man who's ever walked upon the face of this earth, he understood this was important. And of course, I'm meaning the Lord Jesus. And so he told us in Matthew 6 that if we are to pray in our, in our, in our private prayers, we're not, we're not to be like the hypocrite who wants everyone to see them praying. See, they're just checking the box. They're just praying. But, but all they have in their hearts is pride. So they're really not praying. And then the Lord Jesus says, when you do it in verse 6 of chapter 6, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The Lord Jesus is telling us, we, we need to do this. We need to have our secret times of prayer. And now look how important this is to the Lord Jesus. We read also in Matthew 14, and and I'll just read it again because I'm going to make a list of times. We we need to have before us this, this, this figure of the Lord Jesus. Look at how he saw the importance of communion with God. In Matthew 14, 23, it says, When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. So Jesus is doing what he preached. He's going into his closet, shutting the door. He's now in secret with his father. So boys and girls, this closet doesn't necessarily need to be a room, and it's not even a closet. It's, it's a room. The word in King James says closet because it could be a small room, but it's not literally like a wardrobe. It's, it's a room. But it doesn't have to be a room. It can be the mountain. It can be um, um, a balcony in a home. It can be the woods that you find a little corner and you say, I'm going to have a moment in quiet and pray. So Jesus did this. And then if you go to Luke chapter 5, I want to read a couple more verses there. Luke 5 verse 15. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. So Jesus spoke of a room, he went to a mountain, and then he went to a wilderness and prayed. And if you continue in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we read, the Lord Jesus had to do something massive here. He had to come up with the 12 names of the apostles. <clears throat> he needed from God guidance for his humanity to make this choice. Of course, we, we understand his divinity never needed wisdom, but his humanity did. And that's why he needed these moments of prayer. And in chapter 6, verse 12, we read, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And so, in many ways, I made my point. If, if, if for the Lord Jesus, who is absolutely holy, he, he had the... the the sorrows of this life that made life hard and that he got tired and he would get sad and he would grieve and, and he would have to lie down and rest. But he had no sin. But he prayed. And so if it was important for Jesus to have these times where he entered his closet, how much more for you and me? 
And, and I want to give very, very brief, briefly six thoughts. And, and these, many of them, are brought from, from the very Puritans themselves that show this importance. The first thing is this. The unsearchable nature of communion with God. Communion with God is not just an entering in the closet, praying for 10 minutes or even an hour or for the whole night. It, there's something transcendent about it because of a God whom we commune with. You know, we speak of God, one of His attributes, He's unsearchable, which means we'll never exhaust learning who He is. Well, communion with God has something of that connection as well. There's something to it that is divine, and there, there aren't enough words that I can bring, and this is even what I want you to, to grasp. The reason why we need two sermons is that's not enough. There, there aren't enough sermons that I could bring to even speak of how profound and how deep and how mysterious and how dense the discipline of communion with God is. Paul refers to it as in the unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians 3 verse 8. Um, heaven itself, you could say, is in a sense that the fulfillment of communion, our communion with God here will grow to the point where we will be in heaven. And what will we be doing in heaven? It will be unending, eternal communion with God. And so see, I'm, I'm speaking of something that, that is a, a heavenly activity, but it can start now. And, and this is what the prophet referred to in Isaiah 64, verse 4. Not just about heaven, but about what will happen in heaven. And later Paul requoted it in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, verse 10, which is this verse. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And beloved, we think of this passage mainly as, as heaven itself, which, which is the fulfillment. But see, there in heaven we will be communing with God. And we are speaking of communing in, with God right now. So right now I'm speaking to you about something that I hath not seen nor ear heard. And no matter how much I speak of it, and this is what I gathered from, from reading the Puritans, the way they try to bring this is with this, this tension that we will never exhaust this topic. I cannot explain it to you as profoundly as it really is. I can only start. But, but, but this is what I have even for my own personal life and as a pastor. I am convinced that, that many of us haven't even begun to consider how profound this is. And many of us are still with that mindset of just a check of the box. And if we see that for four days we didn't read the Bible, then we feel a little guilty. And this sermon is to make us feel guilty if it's been five minutes and we haven't yet opened our Bibles. The day has begun and we're already dealing with so many matters of this world and we haven't yet come to our God. We should feel that something drastic is missing because it is. Something divine is missing. Something eternal is missing. 
So that's one reason why this is so important. Um, John Flavel put it this way, that it's a greater glory and honor cannot be put upon man than to be thus in fellowship with Jesus Christ. See, if you're living life without close communion, you are living life without the greater glory and honor that could be put upon us, and you're not making use of it. There's no greater joy to speak of. There's no greater honor. No greater blessing than to spend our days with a close communion with God. And secondly, communion with God is the end of all spiritual disciplines. See, being here in church and worshiping is a spiritual discipline. Having our Bibles open, having read, that was a discipline. When I pray, that's a discipline. That's what we mean by spiritual disciplines. The baptism that we hope to have this afternoon will be a spiritual discipline. When we sing our hymns of praise, that is a spiritual discipline. And what is the end of all these things? Why do we do all these things? It's in order to have a greater communion with God. Well, that, that's how important communion with God is. That, it, it explains why we do all that we do. This is why we came to church. Th- this is why we will hopefully come to church again. Because communion with God is the goal. And this is why tomorrow is Monday and we should have in our hearts, I want to wake up and the first thought I want to have is of God and I will reach for my Bible and start reading what He has to speak to me. And when we read the Bible, that is what we're wanting, communion with God. Not everybody has this trait. Some people think we read the Bible just to learn more to learn about Israel's history, to learn about the attributes of God, to learn about Paul's missionary journeys. We, we do learn all these things, but the reason of learning all these things, he asks the other question, why do I learn about Paul's missionary journeys? Why do I learn the attributes of God? Why do I learn about Israel's history? To grow closer to God. So you see how important it is. Um, Thomas Goodwin, he said, the end... The end always means the goal, the objective. The end, my brethren, of all duties, mark what I say. The end of grace itself is the knowledge of God and communion with Him. Therefore you hear, and therefore you pray. If you rest in the duties without communion with God and the knowledge of Him, your soul will be found empty and will sit down in sorrow at the last. A Christian, a holy heart, improves the knowledge of all truth to know God more perfectly and to have more communion with Him by it. So you see, you can come to church, you can read your Bible, but if you're doing that only for the duty itself, not for communion, that's why you will feel like something's missing because you're not achieving the goal of all that reading and all that praying. And the third reason, communion with God, why communion with God is important. It's important because you need it. Just very simple. You can't get more practical than this. Your soul needs it. You depend upon it. Um, Stephen Charnock, another Puritan, said this, A distance from God here can look for nothing but a remoteness from God hereafter. When we will not acknowledge Him, a God of all glory, 
we shall be separated from him as a God of all comfort. And let me begin with those who are far from God because they are unsaved. I can't express it more clearly. You need this communion with God or you will die and perish forever. You see how important it is. And then let's say you, you do believe and so you, you, you act upon the commands of Scripture. You're invited to the banquet and you say, Lord, yes, I want to come. Save my soul. You are now a true believer. And it's the same dynamic for you. Your spiritual life depends on it. Remember last Lord's Day, we did see that it is possible to be a true believer and yet not be truly close to the Lord. And those will be the believers who will be more sorrowful, who will be more sad, who will be more despondent, who will be more sinners, sinning more. That might, might explain exactly why David sinned the way he sinned. He was not near to the Lord when that happened. And the scandalous sins that we hear on, on, on the news all the time of pastors, of Christians. You see what I mean by your life depends on it? Not that you lose your salvation. Not that now you're no longer saved. But, but is that a life that we want to live? A life that we're distant from the Lord and we are bad. We're, we're just reproaches to the Bible, to, to, the, to Christianity. We are not good witnesses that we make other people say, if, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. Remember, when David sinned, the enemies of God were blaspheming God. Is that the kind of Christian that you and I want to be? No, we know it's not. We need it. We need closeness to the Lord. It is what brings joy. It is what brings rest. It is what brings contentment. It is what brings holiness. It brings peace. Look what Richard Sibbs said, another Puritan. He said, the happiness of man consists in two things. There are two things that brings you joy and happiness. He says, in communion with God and in conformity to God which means to be like God. The more like God we are, the more godly, the more Christ-like, the happier you will be. But how do you grow more godly? It is through communion with God. So, so as important it is to be conformed to God, it will never happen unless you have communion with God. And, and when we study the realities of, of how to do it, we will see, and, and even benefits, we will see this. That is where holiness comes from. Beloved, there, there will be no holiness in our lives if there is no closeness to the Lord for that to come forth out of it. Look how much we need it. We, we have this example in the Bible of what happens to a person's life, even the body, when they are far from the Lord. Um, in the parable of the prodigal. What did that son want? He wanted to be far from his father. He wanted all of the riches of this world. He wanted all of the pleasures now and for me. And when he got it, he left. That, that is, of course, a picture of a soul going far from the Lord. And what happened? Was, was he happy? Was it a life worth living? You know, there were those fleeting pleasures while he had the money. And as the famine came and no money came, he lost his friends. And his only friends were the pigs. 
And, and, and it is, it's not incidental that what we see in that picture is what happens to a soul who dares to live far from God. And you could say that in that, in that whole design, there's a reality of, of it being a child of God who wants to be far from God because that was a son who was far from a father. And feeding pigs is, is not a happy ending. But it's even meant to show how illogical it is to live a life far from God. It won't be happy for you. It won't go well for you. And so, thankfully, that, that prodigal was touched by the grace of God, and he went in the direction of the Father. He, he wanted closeness again. A fourth reason why communion with God is so important is by its very nature. And, and right now, I, I haven't really given a very clear definition of even what communion of God is, but I will do it now. In this fourth consideration of why communion with God is important, it's because of what it is, by its very nature. And, and, and the, the foundation of the word is the word fellowship. Communion with God is fellowship with God. God. Um, fellowship with God. It comes from the word koinonia, which means to have something in common, which means to participate. And it means, in our understanding, how we see fellowship, just being friends with one another. So through our union with Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have this fellowship with the Father, and also, of course, with all three persons of the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and this fellowship means that we partake of everything that, that is in Christ and through Christ, even, even heaven and the company of angels in heaven. Look at Hebrews 12.22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. God's Word gives us this understanding that when we have communion with God, we, we are now friends with God. God is friends with us, and His friends are our friends, and the angels are now our friends as well. That's, that's the essence of communion with God. Um, Richard Sibbs says, If we have a desire of communion with God, we will open our souls often to Him in prayer, and we will desire that He will open Himself in speaking to our hearts by His Spirit. See the friendship. We speak to the Lord. He speaks to us. And we will desire that He open His mind to us in His Word. We will be careful to hear His Word and so maintain that sweet and heavenly commerce between Him and our souls by this intercourse of hearing Him and speaking to Him. You see what communion is? It's a communication. God communicates and we communicate. When we communicate, we call it prayer. When He communicates, we call it the hearing of God's Word because this is how He communicates to us. This is why this communication is in private when you open the Bible. If you put on a sermon in the car, He's speaking through that sermon. If you're here in church in Sunday school, hearing God's Word, that's communication, and now here in worship. And we are communicating through our prayers. We are speaking to the Lord. That's 
That's the fellowship. Now I'll speak a little more about this fellowship soon. And then a second reason of, that it's important because of its nature, connected to fellowship, something connected to fellowship, it, it's love. Think right now, young people. You are in a world where the word friends, you understand that I know is not used correctly. You know, people say, I have 10,000 friends. And then people are unfriended or are friended. And that's, of course, not, not, not even the human way and worldly way of the word friend. A friend is someone who communicates to you and you communicate to them. And the more you communicate, the more your friends, right? There are things that you share with this friend, but you, you can't share with those others. It's just not at that level, right, the friendship. But now let's say you have your good friend that you've been sharing a lot, he's been sharing a lot, but all of a sudden he stops. And you ask questions and it's yes and no. Do you sense that there's love from that direction to you? You see, you, you immediately realize that the, the lack of friendship is also connected with a lack of love. And it's the same thing with the Lord. If we speak to Him openly and we speak to Him often, we are declaring our love to God and, and He speaks to us all the time. We just need to open God's Word to hear it. And, and, and you coming to worship, you are showing Him that you want to hear from Him and He is speaking to you through the Word. If that were to stop at any given moment, wouldn't you feel like there's a lack of love? Now, notice how interesting in, in this whole theology of nearness to God or distance from Him, it's interesting how God puts it where never He says, I am far and you have to come near. Never. Even when it says, draw nigh and I will draw nigh, it's not because He's far. It's that now you'll notice that He's been there all the while. And when Paul is preaching to the Athenians who are pagans. He speaks to them that God is near to us. He's a Jew. His, his people he's speaking to are Athenian um, philosophers, pagan worshipers. And he says God is near to all of us. We need to believe that because of God's omnipresence. He is everywhere. So it never happens that God is far. It's just that we feel He's far. But the truth is that we are. If we sin, we will feel He's far, but He's there all the while. We're the ones who have gone far, and we need to repent and come near. It's never the fact that God will say, look, I'm not going to let you hear my word today. What is it that happens? I'm the one that doesn't open the Bible. Or I'm the one that misses a service. Or I'm the one who, there's family worship, and maybe I'm not paying attention while my father's reading the message, re reading the Bible. See, it's always us. And notice how this is such a lack of love. Can you imagine your friend comes to you, and he says, I need to tell you something very important. And then he starts, and all you're doing is looking at your phone, and you're talking to someone else. You're not listening. See, this is a sad thing in, in this relationship between father and child. Never God is the one who says, I will not speak to you. But we're the ones who may say, I will not speak to you because we end up praying less 
And we're also the ones that says, I don't want to hear to you because we either don't pay attention to the sermon or we don't come to church or we don't want to read the Bible at home. You notice how that's the lack of love. And it's beautiful to put it that way because then we need to just understand, I want to love the Lord. So Lord, help me to open my Bible and love Thee. Help me to listen when the Word is being proclaimed because then I'm loving you. And if you don't do that, you grow strange between you and God. Strangeness. I'm using this word because look at this quote that Richard Sibb said. Strangeness is opposite to love. And it dissolves and disunites affections. Therefore, when we are strange to God, that we can go from one end of the week to, a, to the other, and from the beginning of the day to the end of it, and not be acquainted with God, and not open our souls to Him, it is a sign we have no love, because there is no desire of union and communion with Him. So we... As I read this, I think of myself. I I know what he's talking about. I have felt these feelings that God is far. But we need to understand, beloved, that it's always because of us. We need to draw near. He promises that we will experience his nearness when we do. And then Sibs continues. He says, we will be much in meditating on him and speaking to him and conferring with him. If we, if we love Him. Those, therefore, that go on from day to day without private speeches with God, that's prayer, or solacing of their souls in Him, what affection have they to Him? Love is communicative. And what desire of communion can that soul have that lives a stranger to his Maker? And I, I love it when the Puritans put it that way. See, he's, he's really showing how every human, there's a human right there. He's not religious. He's not going to church. A lot of Christians think, well, well, he's, he's not even a Christian. So what can you expect from him? I can expect, God expects closeness because God is the maker of that person. And that person needs to be close to his maker. And while he's not close, he's not loving He's not loving his very maker. It's very unnatural, right? It's wrong. That's why people aren't happy when they're far from the Lord. They're far from their very maker. And the same thing, a believer might be living far from the Lord. They they are not happy because they're far from their maker and savior. And so that was the fourth reason why communion is important. And now a fifth one. Communion with God is important. Because it goes in both directions. Um, We began to look at that. Yes, it is us communicating with God and God communicating with us. But there's more to it. Not just the communication. There's even the experiences. And and, and I'll let John Flavel explain it. Look what he says. He says, we do not only partake of what is his. He partakes of what is ours. He hath fellowship with us in all our wants, sorrows, miseries, and afflictions. And we have communion with Him in His righteousness, grace, sonship, and glory. He takes part of our misery, and we take part of His blessedness. Our sufferings are His sufferings. 
Oh, what an honor it is to thee, poor wretch, to whom a great many would not turn aside to ask how thou doest, to have a king, yea, the prince of all the kings of the earth, to pity, relieve, sympathize, groan, and bleed with you, to sit by you in all your troubles and your afflictions. Oh, and in all your troubles. And then he says this, and give, and give you his cordials, God gives you the medicine that you need, to say, thy troubles are my troubles. That's what Jesus says. And thy afflictions are my afflictions. Whatever toucheth thee, touches me also. Isn't that what Jesus says? When you touch a Christian, it's like touching the apple of God's eye. When Paul was persecuting Christians, Jesus said, Why persecutest thou me? And so this is how we need to understand, beloved. As as a believer, Jesus doesn't just know your sorrow. He experienced it to the fullness when he died on the cross. All of those sufferings were for you if you're a believer. And you can then look at those sufferings as Jesus, in essence, suffering with you. Your suffering is never where you're alone. Your suffering is never without any purpose. Even in the feelings of those sufferings, you're given to experience something of what he had to suffer for you. You're suffering because of your own sins. Jesus suffered to save you from those very sins. And what do we receive from him? Like Flavel said, righteousness, glory, peace, love. So communion with God is important because it goes in both directions. And then the last one, just very simple, communion with God is important because it is eternal. It is absolutely eternal. Everything that I said will never, ever, ever end. The unsearchable nature of it is even explaining this. That's why it's unsearchable, because it's eternal. Um, In heaven, we will continue forever in our spiritual disciplines there of worshiping God for the sake of communion with God. Our soul will need it there. We're not going to stop needing communion in heaven. We will need it forever And we will have delight in it forever. It will be fellowship and love that is perfect forever. See, there's this eternal dimension to it. And now, in in our second point in closing, and I won't be able to touch everything, but the delight of communion with God. And I want you to see mainly two things. That the delight... When we speak of communion with God, the word that comes from Scripture, and as other people expose us, like the Puritans I've, I've been sharing, there are two words that come to mind. There's a word joy or happiness, and there's a word friendship, because that's communion. Joy. And that's the delight. See, if this is why I mean for a whole sermon where we're hoping that it will be embedded in our hearts that communion is something you need. It is something that you should desire. Something that you should have delight in. Why? Because that's what you will do, right? Why do we sin? Because we want to. Why do you read that book? Because you want to. Why do you accept to go out in that dinner? Because you want to. 
This is why I meant that this is the most practical part of the series. I want to reach your heart so that you will want to. I need to want to. And the desire makes us want to. Look what Thomas Goodwin says. He says, if all the pleasures of sin were contracted and the quintessence of them strained into one cup, they would not afford so much as one drop of true peace with God. There wouldn't even be a drop of peace with God. Think of it. How many sins, beloved, we commit? And why do we commit them? It is because of a desire for some sense of pleasure, some delight. And yet there is no delight. There's not even a drop of peace with God because you know what happens. The moment there's that lie, the moment there's that feeling, the moment there's that anger, we just feel guilt, we feel sorrow, we feel far from God. But when you're close to Him, there's delight, there's joy, there's contentment, there's rest, there's peace. Um, Psalm 73, 28, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. It's good when we draw close to God. And Richard Sibbs has a sermon where he preaches on this very passage. He calls it the saint's happiness. And then he says there that there is nothing that can make us happy but drawing near to God. It's a whole sermon on drawing near to God. But I said the other word that comes to our mind in terms of communion with God is the word friendship. Because that's what fellowship is, right? The, we are fellows with those whom we are friends with. Um, and we have a friendship with the Lord. This is what we find in Scripture. Look at, <clears throat> look at what Jesus said to his disciples in John fifteen fifteen. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You see, Christ doesn't just say I call you friends and leaves it at that. He explains why. And it's because the Father revealed things to the Son. And what is the Son doing? He's revealing it to, to His friends. And, and what is He implying with this? Well, you, you better reveal your secrets to me. You better open your heart to me because I'm your friend. I, I'm giving you the most profound secrets. I'm revealing to you the things that matter most. I'm showing my heart of friendship. And what did this heart of friendship do? He, he died for His friends. Did you notice, Jesus didn't say what a master does, but he says what a, what, what a man does, well, he dies for his friends. So literally, Jesus is saying, I am the king, I am your master, but I am on the cross as your friend. As a friend, I give my life to my own. And that's what our friend did. He died for us. And is it is it too hard for us to commune with Him. We're not dying. We're not shedding blood. It's not even hard. It's only hard in our flesh. The reason we feel lazy to open the Bible and reading and maybe praying for an hour. And see, when I say pray for an hour, in our hearts it sounds, how could we pray for an hour? 
But see, I'm saying that purposefully because, see, I'm, I'm, I brought all this to you. We have a Savior who gave His lifeblood for us. Why is it hard for us to pray an hour? See, it's our flesh. It's our weakness. We're not convinced. We're not convinced of the true joy and the friendship that we have with the Savior. Or else it wouldn't be hard to spend that hour. It would come naturally. And when John the Apostle wrote, he, he spoke of this friendship as well. First John 1 John 1.3, he says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. Now, I, f- I found a quote in which Thomas Goodwin is, is even going back in, in eternity to explain how this friendship came about. How did Jesus befriend us? And look what he says. He's, he's putting a lot of principles in God's word together. We, we've touched on this to some degree in, in some sermons about God having chosen us before the foundation of the world. But it's precious how Thomas Goodwin puts it in terms of friendship. He says, he's explaining how this friendship between us and God began. He says, the rise of it lies this way. Christ was God's fellow, Zechariah 13, 7, where God says, Awake, O my sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow. So Jesus is the friend of the Father. It began there. Which privilege he hath by being a son equal with God. And God found this fellowship so sweet as He calls us up to the participation of it. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom ye are called unto fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And this fellowship with the Lord Jesus does not only consist in His and our sharing jointly in the same privileges as in its graces and glories, but it is the fellowship of of His Son, Jesus Christ, so also of His person, and all the sweetness of, and converses with, and relations to Him. And yet, lest in too much familiarity we should forget our distance, He adds, our Lord. There in 1 Corinthians 1.9. So this is what He's saying. God and the Lord Jesus were friends forever and they loved each other and they loved that friendship and God wanted others to experience that friendship and so he called us up into it. It was so sweet in the divine experience he wanted you and me to understand how sweet it is. Does this bring a delight to your heart? Do you see how important communion is? And are you delighted in it? Do you want to have it? I want to end with the same parable. Because that same man who first did not delight in communion with his father and made him go far from his father, and we see what happened, he ended up having communion but with pigs. It's interesting, the the harmony there, the harmony, I mean, the the parallel. 
Yes, he was communing with those pigs because the food that he gave the pigs and the pigs ate was a food that he had to take and eat. That, that was, in essence, a communion, but a very sorry one. And it's a message to your heart and mind that that's what will happen to your soul if you are distant from God. But that man had a moment. Remember how Jesus puts it, he came to himself. That was like the very beginning of what repentance is. He's not yet repenting and going back, but he began in his heart to realize, what am I doing? If I return to my Father, there is food to spare. I can go back as a servant. See, he didn't understand yet the lavish love of the Father, but he did understand something of the love of the Father that he could be received back. So he drew nigh unto his Father. And what did his father do? His father didn't stay home saying, I'm going to wait for him to knock. He didn't say, I'm going to wait for him to plead. I'm going to wait for him to say what he has to say. You know that the father never heard the word servant because he didn't let him say it. He drew near to the father and the father drew near to him. And that father ran to that son and grabbed him and hugged him. And even as the son was repenting, the father had to stop and told him, you will receive a new ring and new shoes and a new robe. And he sent for the servants to prepare the fatted calf. And then there was a party. That is communion with God. It is the reunion and the celebration. And I pray, beloved, I pray this for my own soul. I am delaying on this series because I need it myself. The busyness of our day takes us in every direction. When you feel like you should throw away a phone, maybe it is what we should do in our days. And and you know what I'm meaning. It is crazy busy. Are we going to throw away what matters most? communion with God draw near to him and he will draw near to you it'll happen when we want it amen let us pray our gracious and glorious God we pray that thou would help us yearn for this communion Lord even as I say this very phrase I know that we will only want it if thy grace would open our hearts to want it. Lord, the, the thought that we so, so slowly approach this most blessed discipline only reveals how our hearts are needy and how we need thy grace and how we need thy spirit to irresistibly Um, Give us this heart and give us this love. Open, Lord, the eyes of our understanding that it would be so clear to us that we could be like the psalmist that our soul thirsts after Thee, that we would truly faint 
after Thee, that we would have this desire to kiss Thee with the kisses of our lips, and that we would have the desire of having Thee, Lord, close to us, loving us and caring for us, and yes, opening Thy heart through the pages of Scriptures of what Thou would have us to do. We pray, O Lord, that we would labor for this communion, that we would see, Lord, that it, it won't just happen in a happenstance way, but that we should yearn for it and desire. And we, we ask, Lord, that Thou would do that work in our hearts and that Thou would be glorified in it. And we thank Thee, Lord, that even as Jesus promised that there will be a reward, we, we do believe, Lord, that there will be a reward this reward of joy and of closeness and of giving glory to Thee and of as living as people in this world who are not orphans but who have a Father who is so loving and so caring. And we pray, O Lord, that Thou would teach us further. Lord, we also pray that Thou would bless this afternoon as we hope to have the baptism of little Magnolia June Spolstra We pray, Lord, that Thou would bless the baptism, that Thou would bless um, Keith and Ariel also as they settle in Michigan. We thank Thee, Lord, that they have now found a home, and we pray that they um, may, may be blessed in settling there and in worshiping and the congregation that they've been visiting and that all would be well there, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.